welcome to That's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, I'm speaking with Ananda and Saguna Pratik, the husband and wife co-founders of Behind Every Temple, a charity doing really interesting work restoring ancient temples in Tamil Nadu. Keen listeners may note differing audio qualities in parts of this. For some technical reasons, this interview has been stitched together from recordings made a couple weeks apart. With that housekeeping bit out of the way, let's get right into it. So thanks so much for joining us today. Just let's jump right into this. What does Behind Every Temple do and why is this work needed? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having us. Um, I'm Ananda. I'm actually here with my wife, Saguna. Um, We're the founders of the 501c3 nonprofit uh, Behind Every Temple. Um, In terms of what we do, you know, our mission is really to support, protect and promote Sanatana Dharma. Um, You know, our kind of internal motto is protecting Dharma one temple at a time. Um, so we really have three main initiatives right now, um, all of which revolve around the importance of preserving these ancient Hindu temples. Um, our first one is really just focused on temple renovation. Uh, we have an experienced team of stapatis that help renovate ancient Chola temples around Tamil Nadu, particularly in the Kumbakonam area. Um, we also have uh, oil seva for old Shiva and uh, Vishnu temples. Um, this initiative was actually blessed by Mahapariyaba for temples that are in just really poor condition. Um, as it happened, you know, once during a visit to a remote Shiva temple, Mahapariyaba became just really distressed to see that the temple lacked funds to even light a single lamp. Um, so he really desired the devotees should come forward by some means and contribute oil to light the deepums in all the temples. And he really just desired that no temple should be without this deepums. So uh, with those blessings and intention of fulfilling at least a fraction of his wishes, um, this oil save has been initiated by a small team of like-minded devotees. And then um, lastly, one of our main initiatives is just uh, doing a monthly anatanam um, at an orphanage for the intellectually disabled, um, located in Tamil Nadu, kind of close to Parambalore. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, how it started, I'll let actually my wife, Saguna, she can tell you how, how it started. Totally, yes. Um, I have to say it's, you know, really pure grace. Um, we actually were in the middle of pilgrimage through South, South India in uh, 2018. Um, and we were uh, visiting a lot of ancient uh, but lesser known temple, but extremely powerful temples. Um, so we knew the sad condition of so many temples in India and wanted to do something to help, but we didn't know how to start. Um, we were thinking about that for a long time. We always talk in the house. Um, so one of the temples we visited was a very ancient temple known as um, Chola Buddha Kalabhaira Temple. Um, you know, it has an incredible history behind it. Um, even one of the aspects of Kalabhairava itself, um, the lot of time and space. Um, and one of the things he blesses people with is to be the right place at the right time. And it's, you know, when we came to the temple, it was empty. Uh, only like um, me and my husband um, just waiting in the temple to see anybody coming. And we want to do some small puja. But nobody was there, but it's in a beautiful place, you know. Um, so we walked around the temple and um, then one man came with some kids. Uh, we were sta- started to talking to him um, and he was saying that, oh, there is one of the main stopatis helped to renovate this temple under the guidance of his guru, um, Siddha Venkataraman. 
Um, so we were waiting and then um, the person called Kanan, um, he came to the temple. Uh, in fact, he supposed to not to be there that day. According to his schedule, he's supposed to go somewhere and that was canceled. And he quickly showed up in the temple to see what's going on. And that's how we met him and we quickly connected with him. And um, we were talking about um, the temple and he told the story and it's connected uh, ran, uh, connected us. Um, I think it's all his um, grace of the Kalabhairava himself. Um, that's how we started um, this uh, behind every temple. And uh, he plays a very important role overseeing a temple renovations. Should also mention that, you know, unfortunately, all the temples in Tamil Nadu are controlled by the government, with the exception of the Chidambaram temple. Um, so originally, this Kalabhairava temple was in such a dilapidated condition that Kanan, uh, along with his Guru's blessings, actually had to take the government to court in order to get the rights to renovate it. And that court case lasted almost eight years. And then finally, they came out victorious. And then slowly, the temple was successfully renovated, um, you know, using following only the authentic uh, Vedic practices mentioned in the Shastras. So it's a pretty uh, amazing temple and amazing place to meet Kanan. So. What role does he play today in this? I have two questions. What, what role does he play today in yeah. behind every temple? And can you just go into why this work is needed more broadly? Why, why have temples in Tamil Nadu specifically gotten to the state where organizations have to come in and, you know, help maintain them? What's going on there? Absolutely. Um, so Kanan is our Stapati lead. He's also sits on our board of directors. So he plays a really pivotal role in our organization. Um, and he lives in Kumbakonam near all these temples. So he's the one that really is the day in day out person. Um, in terms of, you know, why this work is needed, um, it's, you know, the main reason why most of these temples are in such the sad state they are in today is really due to the colonization of India over the past thousand years by both the Islamic invaders and the British rule. Um, and, you know, when we look at temples, like what is a temple? We have to realize like temples are not just places where we go to pray, meditate, we do puja, we feel uplifted. Um, in reality, of course, they're those things, but temples are actually the nucleus of all Hindu sanatana life, because temples were also patashalas where education resided. Temples were centers for all arts activities. Temples served as a dance school, a music school. They were also the seat of justice because back in the day, there was no separate court of law. People would literally bring suits to the temple and the king would hear them and the king would be considered a tool of the divine to speak through him and judge you know, lawfully um, even in times of need, the treasury of the temple would help provide for the entire city and town in times of drought, famine, earthquake, or whatever it may be. So when we look at the bigger picture, you know, temples really care for all aspects of human life. So whenever any temple got destroyed, that entire town would be destroyed and people would leave the area. And this is exactly why the temples were targeted by the Islamic invaders, um, and also the British, because they knew if they could destroy the temple, which was this foundation and nucleus of Hindu life, it would serve as the biggest blow to the Hindu population. So what then, once, once you've restored a temple, I mean, what, what, what's, it, what's, what's the plan? How long does it take? 
And then, you know, once you're done, what's going to happen to that? How, how does the, how does that proceed? Yeah. So in terms of how long it takes, it really varies according to the size of the temple um, and exactly what kind of work needs to be done. Um, our current temple project is going on just about a year and it's more than halfway done. Um, so once these, you know, the, all the renovations are finished, we do the Kumbabi Shekam. And of course, all the local community and villagers are part of that. Um, and then to make sure that the temple succeeds afterwards, you know, we can't just leave it there. So we make sure that um, there's at least enough money uh, monthly to have just simple daily pujas at least twice a day, making sure all the rituals are being done. You know, simple prasadam is there just to make sure the energy of the temple remains, you know, alive and active. Um, and, you know, the government uh, may give some small money to like the priest, but, you know, it may be like 500 rupees a month. It's hard, you know, nobody can survive off that. So, um, you know, that really comes from devotees uh, to make sure these pujas are happening and that the temple uh, can stay alive. There's something in, in that last answer that I feel like needs to be unpacked for many listeners. I mean, that's so Hindu listeners span the gamut. Can you explain to people the situation in terms of government control of temples in Tamil Nadu and why the government is paying priests? Most people know that India is a secular nation, but yet these temples are actually managed in, to a large degree, at least in this part of India, by the government. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because just like you said, um, you know, it is supposed to be secular, but unfortunately, Hindus are the only ones that are singled out and do not have control of their own temples. Um, And not only do they not have control of their own temples, but sometimes um, there's members on the board uh, who help manage that temple can be from different faiths. So you can see there's a direct conflict of interest and it's you know, there is processes happening within India to try to free the temple from government control. Um, and, you know, hopefully at some point, you know, soon that happens. But it's really unfortunate because if we had full control of the temples, you know, these temples will be thriving just like they were, you know, originally. They'd be abundant. All the funds would be there. Nowadays, there's even, um, you know, houses and encroachments on temple lands and temple property and all that rent, monthly rent, whether it's from shops or houses, merchants, whatever it may be, gets paid to the government, but it does not appear to be going at all back into the temple. So we don't, you know, nobody really knows what's happening with that money. And then, you know, going back to the original point with these, you know, pujaris and priests, um, you know, this, they just get basically pittance and, you know, it helps, it affects the temples even more, especially smaller temples, because, you know, no priest can accept an offer, you know, for 500 rupees a month, you know, it's just, nobody can live off that. It's impossible. So it creates a really tough situation. Um, So that's why, you know, we're just doing whatever we can, at least make sure the pujaris and, um, you know, the basic pujas are happening within these temples. Supplies, puja supplies. Yeah, getting making sure all the puja supplies are there, garlands, deepums, all that stuff. One thing that, that's occurred to me in all this, and I imagine it's in the minds of listeners too, when you're thinking of a temple that's perhaps in ruins, what's the line between something that is a temple in ruin that is in need of restoration or could be restored and say an archaeological site where where the government may want to intervene? Is that something that you, you have to deal with it all or does that just not play into it because these sites are just off the radar and that 
in that way. For us directly, it doesn't really play in because like you mentioned, these are um, not hugely well-known temples, um, but they still have, I mean, they're all Chola temples. So, you know, they're still extremely important and the um, events and history behind them is absolutely incredible. Um, In fact, some of my personal favorite temples are these smaller, lesser known ones because they're just really amazing. And when you go there, you, you feel the energy. So it's uh, quite unique for sure. What what, what's some of the other challenges that you're facing in doing this? You know, it, it, it seems you're rattling it off like, Oh, we're just going to restore the temple and there are some steps to do it and we're going to involve people. But that, that seems like, it sounds like you're downplaying it to me. I mean, it seems, it seems like an amazing, huge undertaking that we're going to restore this, you know, millennia old structure. What, what, what other, can you go into some of those challenges? I think people might want to want to get a handle on that. Yes. Um, one of the biggest um, challenge, you know, obstacles lies in getting the government approval. Sometimes it takes a really long time um, because temples are in control of the government. Um, we have to take really careful measures to work with them and get permission. Sometimes it can take months, years. Um, you know, for example, the Kalabaitava temple took eight years for him to, you know, um, get approval and do all um, the renovations. Um, aside from um, before, before um, I mean, aside from that, we really have to make sure those renovations are done according in an authentic way. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because you know not just anyone can do temple renovations. Like me personally, you know, or my wife, like we could not do that. We don't have that knowledge and skill set. Um, it can only be done by highly qualified stapatis who have, you know, really taken the time to learn and understand and really, you know, apprentice in this ancient science and art. Um, so for example, like you have to use the same materials as the original temple. Like we will never use, you know, modern day cement on temples, mm-hmm. the temple structure themselves or anything like that. You know, even the mortar recipe we use is found on the Shastras and it's made from a mixture of limestone, jaggery and trifala. So like this, you know, there's an immense wealth of knowledge um, that only highly trained individuals um, can take up this work. Do you have any trouble finding that amount of labor? I mean, because in the U.S., most temples are built. They may have a veneer that looks traditional in some way, but underneath it's a modern construction technique. And those laborers, except for that external carving, you know, I don't imagine are that hard to come by, but you're, you're talking about restoring things using techniques that are hundreds of years old, centuries old. Is that labor readily available and how is that uh, figuring into it? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So that's why it was, you know, so amazing just meeting with Conan at that temple and his team, you know, he's renovated over, um, I think 50 temples in his lifetime and uh, all himself and his team are thoroughly trained in those arts to be able to do these, carry out these renovations in a proper way. Um, So it's really, really important to, you know, make sure you have that team that knows what they're doing. How are you working with the local community with these temples? I realize, you know, in this current project and what's the plan going forward to, to get that buy-in, you know, from the community that says, we're going to help maintain this now that it's been restored. Yeah. So uh, many times, actually, the villagers themselves who approach us asking to renovate their village temple, 
Um, you know, perfect examples are our current uh, Nelitopa Kodomo Temple. The villagers did approach and ask to renovate it. So they already had that desire. Um, in a lot of cases, too, the locals are responsible for raising 20% of the funds. So that way they feel involved and really committed to the success of the temple. Um, aside from this, at the beginning stages, you know, villagers will help clean the temple space, you know, pull weeds, pick up trash, you know, do all that sorts of things. Um, and then once the renovations are complete, the whole community comes together for the Kumbabi Shekem. And then um, after the Kumbabi Shekem, once, you know, the regular pujas are happening, you know, another nice advantage is that, you know, when you have a functioning temple, they can also act as, you know, seats of commerce and that they help local villagers, um, because temple, you know, all temples will have a variety of small shops around them, selling flowers, garlands, deepums, handicrafts, you know, coconut water, whatever it may be. So in this way, the temples themselves, functioning temples themselves also help the local community, you know, earn some money and support themselves. I only have a few more questions here, but, but one gets to the deeper motivation of this. What, what's the motivation? What can people take away from this at a deeper level in terms of temples and the meaning behind them and the function that they have? Yeah. So that, that is a great question. You know, I think one of the main messages we'd like to get out is just, you know, do what you can with what you have. Um, you know, we can all make a difference if we come together and raise awareness of the plight of Hindu temples within India. Um, I think also being able to support your local temples is important. Um, even if you're originally from India, but maybe you're living in the U S you know, find some way to support your village temple back home, um, you know, support the tradition, honor the amazing accolades of the ancestors. Um, I also really encourage, you know, everyone to learn about the incredibly deep science behind temples and really the authentic study of Vastu. Um, not, you know, unfortunately, Vastu nowadays has, there's a lot of. Um, it, it, it's almost like it's like gets packaged as well here's the indian version of feng shui and you know what exactly feng shui is. yeah and it's not the case and there's a lot of stuff that people are claiming is vastu that is not vastu and is not in the shastras so there's a, a lot of um you know just people that i don't think are doing it deliberately intentionally but they've just been you know taught wrong um so you have to realize like temples themselves are not just like these beautiful architectural wonders they are powerful, consecrated energy centers that can have really profound effects upon our spiritual material growth. So if you look at like um, some of the big figures, you know, history, like so the Rishi Patanjali, who wrote the Yoga Sutras, he got enlightened at the Rameshwaram Temple. Um, and Tudumular, um, super, you know, powerful, amazing, enlightened sage, who was the author of Tudumandiram, um, he got enlightened at the Chidambaram Temple. Uh, even, you know, modern day, Vadamana Maharishi um, spent days and nights for months at the temple in Didavanamalai prior to his enlightenment. Um, but, you know, without going too deep here, you know, to truly understand the science behind these temples, we need to study and understand Vastu and its authentic form, which is specifically how pure energy turns into matter. So we can say, you know, the purpose of Vastu science is really about giving form to consciousness. Um, and what's amazing is, you know, for instance, Albert Einstein's famous equation equals MC squared just proves the idea of energy and matter being of the same thing. But this has been written about in the Shastras thousands of years back. So it's really incredible. And then when we look at the overall ancient Vastu science, um, you know, most of this was 
discovered by uh, a rishi by the name of Mahamuni Mayan. Um, he was a very ancient architect. Um, but he perceived that there was really just one force or like one fundamental first principle from which all life emerges, in which all life resides, in which ultimately returns to its primal state of pure energy or consciousness. And he gave that name Brahman. Um, so in physics, this would be called the unified field theory. Um, but what's amazing is that Mayan saw that Brahman being absolute space, consciousness and you know potential energy by its own initiative, it goes through a specific process to transform itself from pure energy to a material form. So really the process of Vastu is the process of manifestation. And this is accomplished by a specific mathematical order. And Mahamuni Mayan saw that this mathematical order can be replicated by humans to essentially unfold specific qualities of Brahman that would vibrate in a form that brings health, you know, happiness, spiritual bliss. Um, so all these ancient temples follow this very advanced and specific mathematical formula for measurement and calculation. So it's designed in order to bring about these massive positive changes within a person. So, you know, I highly recommend people study the Vastu Shastras, Agamas, um, the works of V. Ganapati Stapati. It's actually his ancestors who helped build the great Tanjavur uh, Pradeshwara Temple. Um, also in the U.S., Dr. Jesse Merkay, um, who's one of the successors of Ganapati Stapati. She has a school, teaches this amazing science. So I really encourage uh, everyone to read and learn more. So when you do visit the temple next, you can experience and understand the significance and power on just such a deeper level. So let's bring it back from that, which is some fabulous information, to the very practical for your organization. What's next for you? And if people want to help find out more, how can they do that? Yeah, so there's um, several ways people can help. You know, the first is obviously by donating to the temple renovations or the oil save on Adonim, whatever your heart's desire may be. Um, this can be done through our website, behindeverytemple.org. Um, one unique thing I'll say about our nonprofit is that um, 100% of the donation goes directly towards the projects. We all have day jobs that pay our bills. So this is a passion project for us. It's something we really believe in. It feels our, our, is our heart's calling. So, you know, as an example, all of our administrative and all of our marketing costs are covered 100% out of pocket by the board of directors. So, you know, we use our own money to help promote it and reach more people. Um, another way people can help is, you know, just following like our social media accounts, stay in the loop, see what our latest projects are, what the progress on those projects are, um, helping share our content, you know, far and wide and just reach more and more people. We are actually very active on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and even TikTok. So, you know, we encourage as many people as possible to follow us on those platforms to help raise awareness. Um, Soon, we will also be adding a shop section on the website where you can purchase, you know, puja supplies, malas, you know, truly organic, all natural temple grade incense that's actually made without synthetic chemicals or artificial ingredients, where, you know, 100% of the proceeds of all those sales goes directly to help supporting these, you know, dharmic initiatives. Um, people can also join our email list on our website, you know, again, just stay up to date on the initiatives, our progress. We try to send out an email uh, newsletter at least once a month. Um, and if anyone's a good content writer, we do have an encyclopedia of Hindu temples section on our website. Um, you know, we're always looking for good people to help build that out. 
Um, and really kind of lastly, I guess we just deeply encourage all Hindus again, to just visit their local temples, support them as often as possible. You know, especially if you live in India or have family in India that have ancient temples near them, you know, just find some way to support them because it's really, you know, this is such a huge vision and mission. It's nothing that one person or even one organization can do. It really takes all of us, all these different organizations coming together to help preserve these temples and traditions. And the knowledge is given to us yep. through these temples, like, you know, meditation, yoga, Ayurveda. Um, there's so many informations that are given to us because of these temples. And I believe it's our responsibility, you know, to be grateful for these and do some kind of um, help. Yep. And protect it for future generations. Absolutely. Yes. So if somebody donates or even if they don't donate and they want to check in on the, on the work on the temple restorations you're doing, do you have a facility for, for people to do that? Yeah, we actually can arrange that. And recently we just did one of our uh, larger donors was doing a pilgrimage through South India and we connected him with Kanan and his team. And he got to go see the, uh, temple, which he donated for the Nilipilpa Pitamal temple, um, all the work that's been done and that's still continuing. And he had just a really wonderful experience and got to see it firsthand. And, you know, I, I highly recommend it too, because it's one thing to be connected and see it from a distance, but when you actually go there in person and you feel that temple, you see that temple and you realize, you know, new life, uh, you know, new incarnation is coming to this. Um, it's a very exciting, beautiful thing. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.